Welcome to Grace today. We're glad you joined with us. Maybe some of you here for the first time. Maybe you're here watching someone that you know taking that public step and being baptized today. I love thinking about the stories behind and people making a step today to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the most public stand that you can take when you choose not to deny Christ in front of others. Can we just praise God for what took place already today? Throughout our services today, there will be over, I think, 65 people that are going public in baptism. We praise God for the way he's working in people's lives. If you walked in here today for the very first time and you're jumping into the middle of a series of messages called One Minute After You Die, we've been walking through the end time events and we've been, this is the fifth or sixth message in that in this series. And we've been talking about the rapture and the second coming. We look at the battle of Armageddon last week and we're talking about... Uh, the literal realities of heaven, the intermediate heaven. We talked about words like Sheol and Hades. And, and so if you're walking in today and you're going to jump into the midst of a message, we've already been talking about a lot of things. And so today we're going to be talking about the sobering realities of rejecting Jesus. And the realities are very sobering. And so maybe you're walking in and it's not a coincidence that you showed up today. God in his foreknowledge understood that you, he wanted you here today and hopefully this message will give you a chance to ask the question, do I personally know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? The reality is this, when you reject Jesus Christ, you end up in a place eventually called hell, the lake of fire. And there are people who have chosen not to trust in Jesus Christ who are there even now. And even this week as I was preparing and our staff was praying, we asked the Lord to soften hearts today so that more people wouldn't end up in a place far away from God called hell. Hell is a real place. And whether you want to believe it or not, it is. It's a place where those go that have rejected Jesus. But the good news is this. As we think about what's to come, you're still alive and you have an opportunity today to place your faith in Jesus and have this incredible abundant life with Christ who will walk you through your hard times. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you walk through the valley of shadow of death and sickness and health and finance and maybe there's things that you at night dread getting up and facing, the Lord himself will be with you, scripture says. You never have to walk alone again. And the reality is this, when you breathe your last breath, as we've looked at already, you have this eternity promised for you with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in this place called heaven. And we talked about our roles and responsibilities. But the flip side of that is this, to reject Jesus leaves you in the complete opposite place, far, far away from God, total abandonment in a place called hell. Jesus told a story trying to encourage those around him, just like I'm going to try today, for you to trust and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. I really encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand up. We'll give you a Bible today. If you don't own a Bible, it's a gift from Grace Community Church to you. Take it home. Open your mobile device to Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Go to the middle of your Bible and just and you'll find the book of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to read this story, this parable that Jesus told about things to come. I want you to find Matthew 25, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Stand with me as we read God's word together out loud. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. This is a story, a parable, that Jesus is trying to explain 
about the second coming, about people being left out of heaven. Let's read it out loud together, Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Ready, read. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the doors for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. You may have a seat. It is obvious from this text today and the story that Jesus is telling, he was the master storyteller. He could take principles of the day and apply them to things, in this case, that were to come. It is obvious from this account that Jesus reminds us in his powerful testimony and message that there is utter hopelessness for the lost. Let me just give you a little background. It's very important. First century marriages are much different than what they are today. Same principle, husband and wife meet each other, girl and gal, guy and gal meet, husband, wife, they meet their man, woman, meet each other, and then they, one husband, one wife, as Bible has it, we've talked about that, that's God's intent for mankind. They meet, and then they go through this engagement period. Most likely, and probably more than most likely, the majority of these marriages were also, were already arranged. Dad would maybe look at his son and say, you need a wife. And so the families would arrange a marriage. And so during the first century, when a man and a woman got married, there would be this period that they called the engagement period. And it normally lasted, sometimes like ours do, a year or so. And so during this time, they would get to know each other. During this time, they would begin preparing for the wedding to come. And then there would be a wedding months later, a year later. The weddings happen at the bride's home. So the families would come. They would meet at the bride's home and there would be this ceremony, this covenant of marriage would take place in front of both families and friends at the bride's home. That's the second part of this wedding reception party. A few days later, sometimes a weeks later, they would go to the groom's house. And at the groom's house, they would have what would be a wedding, we would understand as a wedding banquet or a wedding reception. So you would have engagement, period of time to get to know each other, normally arrange. Wedding would be at the bride's house, invite family and friends. You make this covenant before God. A few weeks later, they would have a wedding banquet. It would always be at the groom's house. So... It would often last from one day to seven days long. They had this 
long party. And while they were having this party, if you were part of the wedding party, you would stand outside and you would wait for the groom to come. And as we can see from this story today, they were waiting a very long time. They waited so long for the groom to come that it says they became drowsy and they fell asleep. Ten virgins were waiting. They had been invited to the wedding reception. And so there's this picture that they're standing and waiting. They're like, is he ever going to come? Is the bridegroom ever going to come? They fell asleep. And the story says this. (coughs) As they fell asleep, they woke back up and realized that we needed to provide light. So it was nighttime. And so if you went to a wedding reception during the first century, you would carry a lantern with you. And so if you were part of the wedding party, in this case, the 10 virgins were, they stood along the side of the road, some on one side and some on the other. They made light for the groom when he came, so it would light the path to go to the home of the place. The story goes on to tell, though, that they became drowsy and fell asleep. And their light went out. Their lantern lost and depleted itself of oil. And you can see from the text, some of the virgins that were part of the bridal party, they brought along some extra oil. They were prepared for the groom that was coming. And so literally, they took their lantern and they got some oil out and they poured it into the lantern. They had extra oil. And so they were able, as we understand, to trim their wicks. And so literally, they would just take and turn it much like we do today, but in a more ancient way, and they would light it up. And, And many of them were able to take and light, but some weren't able to. There wasn't enough oil left. And it says that five of them found that they didn't have extra oil to light the lamps, the lanterns. And the story goes on to tell this. They look at the five and say, hey, can we use some of your oil? You got extra. Share some with me so that we can put oil in our lamps and we can welcome the bridegroom who is coming. Five virgins were prepared for the coming of the groom. And they had enough oil. They put it in their lantern. They lit their lanterns. They told the other five, we can't share our oil with you because it's ours. In fact, there isn't enough for both you and me. We're prepared. But if you go to the place where they sell oil, Get some more oil, go to the, 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 the oil house and say, hey, I need some oil. The groom is coming. We're part of the wedding party. We want to be able to light the way. So the story goes on. They rush off to the place where the oil is sold. Knock on the door, get some oil. However, maybe they had a container, they poured it in. And they run back to this wedding reception because They now had heard already, hey, get ready. A shout was given. The voice of an archangel, the trumpet sound of God. He's coming again. And when they get back, 
running with their lamps, running with their oil, they find out that no one is there along the way. Like, you're supposed to stand. Proper etiquette is to let the groom go in first. You stand and light the way. But when these five virgins get back, everyone is already in the home of the groom. So they think to themselves, well, we've been invited. We've been asked to come to this wedding reception. And so you picture them, they're holding their oil, they're holding their lamps, and they go to the door. And the story says they knock on the door. And the groom answers the door and hears them saying, let us in. Let us in. Hey, we're part of the wedding party. Don't you remember? We were standing with the other five. We're ready now. We got our oil. Hey, we're ready to join you in this wedding reception. And the story says this. The groom says, I don't know you. Wait a minute. You know me. Like, I'm a friend of your father. We, we work together. Remember, you invited us to your wedding reception. We were standing out. We slept all night for you. And we became so drought, we just went out and spent all of our money from the week and bought more oil. Can't you see? What do you mean you don't know me? And so Jesus goes on to show us from this story that some are prepared for his coming, the ones that had the lantern and the oil, and some are unprepared, thinking they are prepared. And not only thinking that they're surprised that they're too late. Surprised that the groom doesn't wreck. What do you mean you don't? Hey, it's Jim. You know me. No, I never knew you. Surprised that the other virgins wouldn't share their oil with them. Think about this for a second. What is Jesus telling us here? He's telling us that the prepared thought they still had time, but they didn't. He's telling us that some of these virgins were wise, some were foolish. And he's telling us that he will tell them, I don't know you. So what are these symbols like? What's oil? What does that represent? How can oil keep, like, do I need to go buy some oil at Ace Hardware? To get into heaven? What's the symbolism that Jesus is using through this parable? What he is saying is this. If there isn't something inside your lantern, you could look like everyone else. In fact, these virgins all looked the same. They were probably dressed in the same dresses. They were holding the same kind of lanterns. Yet inside of their lanterns, there wasn't a life-changing decision called the Holy Spirit that lived in them. They were empty on the inside. They even looked like the rest on the outside. And the oil represents a person who has a form, a shape of godliness, yet isn't filled with God. 
himself. What else can we learn from this account? That we can't share our salvation and what's inside of us with anyone else. It's personal to us. Here's how I would say that. You see, when we look at our relationship with God the Father, God the Father has children, but he doesn't have grandchildren. Think about that for a second. He has children. All he has is children. He doesn't have grandchildren. What do I mean by that? You can't get in to the bridegroom's reception based on the faith of your mother who who you say, can you share it? Like, I've been going to church. We've been going to the same church as our parents have been going to all of my life. And listen, my, my husband, he, 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 he knows God. You can't share this faith that's personal to you. There, God only has children and not grandchildren. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to John chapter one. John tried to describe this for us. Turn to John chapter one. Describing how we can have a personal relationship with Jesus himself. Look at John chapter one. Look at verse 12. John said this, yet to all who did what him, what's the word? Receive Receive him. To those who what? What's the word? In his what? He gave the right to become grandchildren of God. Is that what it says? It says what? Children of God. To those who receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he says this, children born not of natural what? Nor of human what? Or of a husband's what? But born of God. So what is he saying? What's John saying? He's saying, you can't share this. Like if your husband's saved, his faith won't get you into this wedding reception. If your wife is saved, It's not because of your human decision. It's not because you were born into parents who knew Jesus Christ. And because they knew Christ, you're in too. You can't get to the wedding reception as we understand and spend eternity with Jesus based on the faith of your parents. You're not a grandchild of God. It must be a child of God. So Jesus gives us this powerful story here. And he's letting us know that there will be some in this room today. But Jesus, I've been going to church my whole life. I mean, I was born in the church. And I've heard people say this. Tell me about your testimony. When did you come to Jesus Christ? When did you, well, as far as I remember, I've been going to church my whole life. My parents, they always told me about God. Or, or my, my, my mom always told me about God. My dad always told me. All I remember the whole way back, I, I know that there's a God. And this passage is telling us just because you have a form, just because you have a shape, if it's not filled with the oil of the spirit, which comes when we trust in Jesus, then on that day, he will say, I do not know you. We also find from this passage that these virgins were surprised that he wouldn't let them in. Saying no to Jesus leaves you standing in judgment without a second chance. We also see from this account this, that there weren't any second chances for these five virgins who thought, he'll give me another chance. Like, 
Like, I've been so good and I've served in the local church. I, I've read my Bible from time to time. You know, I, 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 I'm giving 10 bucks to the Blitz. I'm going to buy one of these bags. Maybe even I've served on the tech team. Maybe I've been on a missions trip to Asia or Costa Rica or Vietnam or the Dominican Republic. Surely, surely God will see that. He will say, if you have never trusted in the work of Jesus, I will shut the door on you. Why? Because man is destined to die once and face judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. So where does he go? Where, what happens to that person who rejects Jesus? Let me take you back to this timeline that we've been looking at over the last five weeks. On this timeline, you will see that we've been talking that the next event, and you can see up above more clearly, the next event on the timeline is the rapture. And those of us who know Christ, we are pulled out, and then the seven years of tribulation takes place. All unsaved people live during this time. And at the end of this, we understand the seven years of tribulation, the second coming of Christ. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. He's coming back and he will wipe out evil. At the end of that time, the beginning of that, the millennial reign a thousand years, and then the unsaved will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. So where are people right now? We already know where people are who, who have died. And I told you where I, I know where my father is who died just over a month ago. His body is in the grave. His soul is with Jesus in the intermediate heaven. Where are people right now that have died that didn't trust in Christ? The Bible gives us clear evidence and we're going to look at that. In the Old Testament, those who died before Jesus coming, they went to a place called Sheol. Three weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 16, the rich man. We looked at, at, at Lazarus and the rich man, and we saw that there was this place where this rich man who was unsaved, who didn't trust in the Messiah who was yet to come, and he was in this place where he asked, if you could just give me a drop of water on my tongue because I'm in this place called Sheol. Old Testament, New Testament, we saw a few weeks ago that it's called Hades. And then in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14, it says that death and destruction, Hades will be thrown in, in Old Testament, Sheol, wicked side will be thrown into the lake of fire. So if you don't know Christ and you've already died, you're in this holding place that's much similar to hell itself. So you say, Pastor Jim, come on. A righteous God, a loving God, would he really send people to hell? And we, did, we addressed that. You remember, I, I gave you the reasons why. I believe a loving God allows that, and, and that's part of his plan. Is there evidence in the Bible that a place like this exists? Well, turn to Matthew chapter 7, or that people actually get thrown out or left out. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Let's just let's take a look at a few of these passages. What does the Bible say in Matthew chapter 7? Look at verse 21 to 23. Jesus, once again, is giving an understanding to us and those of the day what are true and false disciples. And he says this in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of what? What's the word? But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the first word of verse 22? What's the word? Come on, help me out. What's it, what, everyone, what is it? How many? Many. So there's this picture that Jesus is saying, now listen up, many 
on that day will say, but Lord, I know you. Lord, I've been to church my whole life. Lord, I've even, I've even told other people about Jesus. Lord, I've served since I've been 11 years old. I've been to Momentum uh, Youth Conference. I'm, I, and Lord, I'm serving in junior high. That's got to get me in. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Many will say, look what else it says then. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23, then I will tell them how. How does he tell them? What's the word? Plainly. I what? Never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. We find that there is a place of rejection for those who don't know him. Mark 9, 43 says it's a place called hell. Proverbs 15, 24 in the Old Testament says the path of light leads upward for the prudent to keep them from going down to the realm of the dead. Hebrew word, sheol, wicked side. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 says this, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So who are the people that are left out? Turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Let's just look in the Old Testament. Who are those people who are left out that died before Jesus came? Look at Isaiah chapter 14 in verse 9. Who are those people who are left out? Those who didn't trust in the Messiah to come. Those who didn't daily go to the altar and bring a sacrifice to cover their sins. In the Old Testament, you heard me say a few weeks, there was a covering for our sins. We covered up with blood of unblemished animals. But when Jesus came, he was the sacrifice. We no longer need to go out in our yard every day and sacrifice an unblemished lamb. And praise God for that because the lamb of God came, Jesus Christ, and died for our sins. But to those who didn't think that they needed a covering for their sin, who didn't believe in this Yahweh Messiah that was to come, they get thrown into a place called Sheol. And look at Isaiah. It gives us a description of it. The realm of the dead below is all astir to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones. All those who were kings over nations, they will all respond and they will say to you, you also have become weak as we are and you have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave, Sheol, Hebrew word, along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. Horrible place. Who else is there? Let me go back to this timeline quickly. During the tribulation, all the church is raptured at the beginning of this, and there are people that are left. All those who didn't trust in Jesus are left. The Antichrist, the false prophet, and those who don't know Christ live during this time. There's the tribulation, the first three and a half years, and there's the great tribulation. And during that time, unsaved people, in order to make it, in order to survive, they have to eat food. They need 
to be have provisions given to them. And the only way it happens, Revelation 14 tells us that they take what is called the mark of the beast, 666, on their forehead and on the palm of their hand. And as soon as they're deceived to believe that they need to trust in Satan, they will end up in an eternity called Hades, far from God. Who else is in this holding tank far away from God? Those who refuse to trust in him during the millennial reign. We looked at that last week. Satan himself, Revelation 20, 10. So what is this place like? What is these holding tanks? Old Testament Sheol, New Testament Hades. Job chapter 26 refers to it as this, a place of darkness and deep anguish. Psalm 116.3 says, full of trouble and sorrow. Proverbs 27.20 says this Old Testament, Sheol, it's where your desires will never be satisfied. Think about that. Your desire, what desires? Your sinful, lustful desires, those things that drive you to sin, those desires of the flesh, it means this, that those are in Sheol right now, in the wicked side, they still long for that addiction. They still crave pornography. They still crave drugs. They still crave sin. And day after day, they're longing to get it. They desire to eat it, to touch it, to shoot it, to say it, to do it. And they'll never be fulfilled You know how difficult it is to overcome temptation when you're walking in lust and the flesh, that desire will take over and it will never be appeased to them. Proverbs says that they will be, their desires will never be, there will be increased desire with decreased satisfaction. See, part of the reason Many don't want to believe that a loving God would create a world that people are sent to hell. And why so many people find hell offensive is because of our insensitivity to sin. Think how easy that happens. Our hearts get callous, and when you're unsaved, you don't have the spirit in you. Like, that's not so bad if I do that. Everyone's doing that. What's wrong if I spend hours in pornography? What's wrong if I have three wives or commit adultery? What's wrong if I lust after this? What's wrong if I, I drink too much alcohol and the next day I do? What's wrong if I gossip and I slander and I compromise integrity? What's really, like that's the world we live in, isn't it? And so what happens is our world and our thinking for those who don't know Christ becomes so scarred and Literally, the conscience is seared that then we think, well, that's not so bad. Everyone's doing it. Then why would God create a place that so many people go to that everyone is sinning? It's because of an insensitivity to sin. So what happens to those that don't know Christ? They go to this place and they're judged. It's called the great white throne judgment. Let me show you. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. Here's where they go and they're judged. Revelation chapter 20. Look at verses 11 to 15. John says this. He's on the island of Patmos and he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the what? Verse 12. Dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were what? What's the word? open. Another book open, which is the book of what? The dead were judged according to what they had what? 
done as recorded in the books. There is this book of accountability that every living creature who doesn't know Christ, it's a book of all the things they have done. And then it says this in verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in it, the graves, Hades is the holding tanks that were in them. And each person from these holding tanks was what? What's it say? Judge according to what they had done. Then death, John said, and Hades were thrown into the lake of what? The lake of fire is what death? The second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Let me show you where this takes place. Go back to this timeline that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Rapture, tribulation, seven years, second coming of Christ, 1,000 years, battle of Armageddon here, 1,000 years, Satan comes back and revolts at the end, thinks he's going to, he circles the camp of God, fire comes from heaven and wipes him out, he's thrown into the, the lake of fire, and at that point, there's this judgment for all the people who have ever lived, who rejected Jesus, the great white throne judgment. After they're judged, they are thrown into the lake of fire and then the eternal state that we talked about a few weeks ago, heaven comes down to earth, the new earth, and we reign with Jesus forever. I was thinking about this this week and considering what it must be like for someone to stand before the righteous God and think, but Jesus, I went to Grace Community Church. But Jesus, I served. But Jesus, I even read my Bible. But Jesus, like I'm no different than the other five virgins that are pictured. Look, I'm dressed the same. I was invited. Jesus, someone invited me. You can't reject me, Jesus. Look at all these good things I have done. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because it's not our good works that saves us. It's the grace of Christ through faith in the work on the cross that saves us. I've wondered... As people stand there, and be quite frank, it's been a hard week for me because I feel accountable for you and those in the link and those that daily watch our services online. Like, I feel responsible because I'm your shepherd and my responsibility is to tell you the truth of God's word. And so it would break my heart if there were people who called Grace Community their home and they went through the motions but they never trusted in Jesus. And you would have to stand before God, and I believe what will happen at this great white throne, people will remember 
All those people in their life, their moms and dads and friends and, and co-workers, and, and they'll begin to remember these texts that were sent. Hey, would you join us for this Christmas service? Hey, I love you and Jesus loves you. They'll, they'll remember these notes that were sent and they'll remember these conversations on, around the water cooler and they'll remember these conversations on the basketball court and they'll remember a coach that, that told them that, I just want to let you know, the most important thing should be God in your life and then basketball. They'll remember all these stories and like all of a sudden they'll say, I remember Jesus. I believe now, Jesus, it makes sense. But the word of God says a man is destined to die once and face judgment. There will be no second chances. You can't go, as Jesus said, and go buy some oil and then and think that somehow that now that you've got the oil, when the door to heaven is shut, it is closed forever. So please, as long as you have life and you're here today, make sure, please, you can't be saved out of natural descent or of human origin. You can't be saved because of your husband's will or your mama's will or your daddy's will or your wife's will. It must be that you alone, we can't share our salvation with someone else. It must be because you trusted in Christ alone. So I wonder if they're standing there thinking, why didn't I? And in that moment, all it takes is one sin. And because of one sin, we can never stand before a righteous God. And the only way we do who are saved is because the righteousness of Jesus covers our sin. So how will they be judged at this great white throne? Romans 2, 5, and 6 says, he will repay each person according to what they have done. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He who sows to the flesh will reap the flesh. He who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. I personally believe that it will be something like this. John Anderson, come forward, John. Born 1952. And the details of what he had done will be brought into full light. Those late night porn visits, lust, sin, slander, gossip, everything that he's ever done, bam, 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 will be shown in front of him. Every secret sin that he's never, ever asked for forgiveness of that the righteousness of Jesus could cover. I believe he will be able to hear the howling and screaming of those already in hell because the picture is this, as we stand there, once we've been rejected, we are thrown into the lake of fire. But I believe that there would be these people just crying out to God like these five virgins. Let us in. Pleading, please, Jesus. I wish I didn't fall asleep. I was drowsy. I was really close. Depart from me, I never knew you. I believe some will walk over to the book of life where every name has never been blotted out that trust him. And they'll go, he'll go to the Andersons and he'll scan. It's got to be here. John Anderson, 1952, Wichita, Kansas. Got to be there. And he's scanning and looking and he just keeps looking, looking, looking. And Jesus says, and God says, depart from me. I never knew you. I personally believe that people will be surprised that they can't get in. Just like the five virgins were. 
and I believe they will be tossed over, head over foot into the lake of fire. See, listen to me, please. Saying no to Jesus is a horrific choice. Don't say no. The New Testament gives us then two Greek words that describe hell, the lake of fire. The first Greek word is Tartarus. It's used in 2 Peter 2.4. The second Greek word, Jesus used 11 times out of the 12 times it appeared in the New Testament for hell. It's the Greek word Gehenna. And here's what the Bible says about hell, okay? It says that Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Death and destruction, Satan, those who don't know Christ, will be thrown. The beast, the false prophet, will be thrown, the Antichrist, into the lake of fire. And here's how the Bible describes hell. Matthew 25, 41, a place of everlasting fire. Hebrews 10, 27, a place of raging fire. Mark 9, 43, a place of unquenchable fire. Revelation 19, 20, a lake of fire. Matthew 8 and 12 says there'll be utter darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 9, 2 says it'll be a pit filled with smoke. Mark 9, 48 says where worms do not die. And Revelation 14, 10 and 11 says no rest day and night. So Jesus said this almost 2,000 years ago. Be prepared because I'm coming again. Be ready for the groom. And if you're not ready, don't dare think that there's going to be a second chance for you that you can run and grab some oil and take this body, this form of godliness, and make it more than head knowledge. Make it heart knowledge and trust in Jesus. It will be too late. He will shut the door forever. The door was shut and never opened again. I don't know where you're at today, but hear me. Maybe you walked in and you were here, like, I just want to come and celebrate baptism. Listen, there were people that were baptized today, and the reason they were baptized is because they have already at some point trusted in the work of Jesus Christ, and they are his children. How about you? Maybe this is kind of stuff like you, you, don't, you don't want to hear this. Maybe that's Satan saying, listen, that's not true. Listen, it is true if you don't trust in Christ. Listen, I'm not trying to give you, just tell you today to trust in Jesus so you can get out of hell free. No, I want you to trust in Jesus because he will be with you on earth in every trial that you walk through. When you walk through the valley of shadow of death, of finances, of health, of, of broken marriages, of, of, of unemployment, of sickness, of, of homelessness, he will be with you. See, it's more, than just, it's more than just get me out of hell and get me to heaven. It's this unusual peace that you can have because God lives in you. It's what Jesus said. Five had God in them. Five didn't. And when you have God in you, there is this unusual peace and hope and promise. No, no matter what happens to me, no matter if I breathe my last breath, here's what I know. If I die today, my next breath is in the presence of the loving God. See, I know that. How do I know that? Because the spirit lives in me. My oil is full in my tank, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. So please hear me today. 
don't leave this room. Don't do it. Don't leave this room unless you know that you know. Don't be like the five virgins who say, I'll wait. I'll wait till I graduate from high school. I'll wait till I get, I'll wait till I get out of this dating relationship. I kind of like it. We're having sex together and we shouldn't before marriage and it's sin, but I like it. I, I'll wait because my boyfriend, he doesn't know Christ or my girlfriend doesn't. And I don't want to give, I'll wait because I want to shoot up this afternoon. I'll wait because God is a loving God. And, and, and listen, I want to live it up. A little. Listen, don't do it. You could leave this place today and get in your car and leave this, this church service and you could have a collision and die. And listen to me, he won't let you in. Just yesterday, New Paris, Indiana, just not far from our home, County Road 19 and 142, an airplane goes down in a cornfield that's been plowed. Do you think that, that pallet got up that day and thought, I'm going to I'm gonna have to crash this airplane in the field. Do you think that that was on his radar screen? Probably not. Is it on your radar screen? I got a little more time. I'm young. Listen, kids die of all ages. Today is the day of salvation. Please trust in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Don't leave. Like, if you even have to work, just sit still for a second. Just sit and pray. I don't know where you're at, but here's what I do know. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. And as he told this story 2,000 years ago, please be prepared for his coming again. The answer is simple. Bible says if we confess in our mouth that Jesus is Lord and he was raised from the dead and we trust in him, not in our works, but in grace through faith that Jesus saves us, we will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from an eternity away from God. Listen, this isn't the time for you to, to bank on what someone else says. If you're not certain If you can't go back and say, there's the date, there's the time. That was the moment that I trusted it. And maybe if there isn't fruit in your life to match a decision, then it begs an answer to a question. Did I or am I a follower of Christ? This isn't decision that you wait till after the the one o'clock football game today or, 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 or till Monday morning. It's life or death right now. So please don't leave this room unless you're certain. And if you're not certain and it's kind of fuzzy, maybe you're, maybe you're, you're a teenager now, maybe you're a young adult and you're still remember. I don't remember, but mom and dad said I got saved. Don't, don't dare bank on that. Bank on you saying, I know I trusted in Jesus. It's not your father or mother's faith that can save you. Make this the day. Make this the day. If that's you today, what? I want you to do something. I want you to, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth, I believe confession of our mouth is praying to God. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's not the raising of the hand that saves you. It's the decision that you've already made in your heart to trust in Jesus. And prayer is a recognition of a decision. You're confessing with your mouth. If you want to make certain, listen, this is, this is life and death. Make certain right now. And just pray this, dear God, I don't want to be left out. I trust in you, Jesus. 
and the work on the cross. Like, Jesus, thank you. I'm banking on you, Jesus, not on my good works. I surrender my right, my will, my heart, my life to you alone, Jesus. I will serve you the rest of my life. Please forgive me of all my sins. I confess them to you and save my soul. Put oil in my lamp and in my lantern. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says if we do that, and it's more than head, but it's a heart understanding, we will be saved. Now, here's what we ask you to do. I'm asking everyone to stand, eyes still closed. Just, just stand in the link, stand too, please. Eyes closed and just listen to me. This is the part where fear wants to envelop you. This is the part where, where, where like, what will people think? This is the part, well, I serve on ministry teams at Grace. What will mom or dad, what will my husband think? What will Pastor Jim think? What will the elders think? What will my small group leader think? What will, what will they think if, if I make that decision today because I know I need to be certain of this and I trust? They will say, praise the Lord. Don't let fear and pride get in your way because it's probably what's kept you all these years from trusting in Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you to do in the link. Pastor Mike is over there. And I'm actually do here in the main. We're about to sing a song. Now listen to me. This is where it gets, it gets scary. You think, how am I going to get across these people and how am I going to get around? Listen, I want you to walk to the front. I just want you to kneel across the front, just right up against the stage. And here's why I want you to do that. Because if we refuse to acknowledge Christ in front of believers, then we might as well say, I deny Jesus. This is your step. So I'm going to ask you to come. Just Listen. Push, knock over the whole row if you got to get out. Jump over chairs. This is life or death. Just come, just come. Now, now listen, some of you are going to fight this. Don't fight it. Just come as we sing this song in Jesus' name, amen, and just kneel.